So the first thing is, this is from Gallup. It's uh, just a couple of months old. And I think it's important that we keep this in mind. Basically, they ask people, are you depressed or currently, or have you, you know, or have you been diagnosed with depression? And 17.8% of the population said that they had. And so this is the highest we've ever seen this uh, in the country. And we're a little bit further out. I know people still talk about COVID and blame, you know, we did have a lot of depression probably as a result of COVID, but this is post COVID, right? So we have a high level, a high number of depression right now in the country. So keep that in the back of your mind. The other thing is, this is from the Any Case Foundation, and they're trying to show the changes in depression and anxiety in children. And the darker, in other words, the more purplish like that you are, the higher the rate. And really what they're doing is they're showing a comparison between 2016 and 2020. And yes, we were in the pandemic in 2020. However, just look at how it just skyrocketed and it's really not come down. That's why we've got that 17.8% of people, though it is adults. So we've got a, when you see a number like that, you're looking, for example, at Arkansas. So like they had a rate of depression of like 9.9 .9, and then it went up to like 13.8, something like that. But you can see there is a major major problem throughout the United States, both with adults and also with children. So that's another thing to keep in the backdrop. And then think a bit about, you don't hear this, but uh, I do think people are starting to push about talking about it. How many people are dying from some sort of alcohol-related issues? So this could be like delirium tremens, someone that goes into cardiac arrest because they're addicted to alcohol and that kind of thing. But it's really a, a whole number of things, accidents and so forth. And so this is, it was in JAMA, right? 20 to 64-year-olds, 2015 to 2019. And over here on the right is the CDC just trying to show you how it has shot up exponentially. And so this is alcohol, but our behaviors are leading to, to death. They're, they're killing us, really. And so that's, that's one area to look at. Over here, we're, kinda, we're trying to show like age-adjusted suicide rate. Keep in the back of your head that the suicide rate is uh, 132 people a day. And so I'm going to talk to you in a little bit about a book here that I wrote. And when I wrote this book, the suicide rate was 128. This was 2018, I think, when we published this, or 2019. Uh, 128 a day. We went to 130 a day, and we're at 132 a day now. Uh, the other thing you can see is to the right, they're doing the same kind of thing. They're doing it on an age adjustment. But 100 people a day are, dry, are dying from opioid or, or a particular drug overdose. So we say 100, but you can see how the numbers are, this is really where they're dividing out on different things, fentanyl, cocaine. Uh, but honestly, we're getting probably in the territory of 130. So this is really a difficult situation that we find ourselves in. So the church has a job to do, does it? And is our community expecting the church to do something about it? Now, you may have heard about this Barna study. And the first thing they did was they asked they ask a whole lot of questions. They asked questions of pastors. They asked questions of Christians. They asked questions of non-Christians. And number one, pastors did not think it was their job to provide 
uh, counseling to the community, and then there's other metrics that they use like providing support or providing help to the community. They said their number one job, and I would agree with this, is to share the gospel and preach the gospel to others. So that's true, I would agree, I would agree with that, but that's what they found. The other things, providing counseling in the community, providing like support and help, uh, were, were really low. Non-Christians, they did not rate high sharing the gospel. They rated high providing counseling, providing resources, providing help to the community. So what I'm asking you to think about is the world has kind of turned against Christianity a bit. There's no more of this social gospel business. It's like, what's wrong with you? And they don't really care for us in some ways, but they do want help from us. And so why not just embrace them and why not try to provide some of that help? And that's kind of the, the background bef- behind first aid for emotional hurts. On the worst day of their lives, people tend to turn to Christians. And I think many of you know that most of my time, and really until now, was in secular settings. And it almost, it, it, I almost thought people were sometimes trying to trick me. But on 9-11, people came to me. When someone learns they have pancreatic cancer, they came to me and it was almost like, are they trying to trick me? Are they recording me? But they wanted help and they were cool with Psalm 46 and things like that, right? So I'm asking you, yes, they need the gospel. Yes, we shared the gospel, but we have to be willing and we have to be the hands and feet of Jesus to help them. And you, you can't get away from this. You can't get away from this. This is an old study, but it's a great study. It's back in 2002. It's in the family of community health. And they're trying to figure out what do people do, what do parents do after the murder of a child or a suicide from a child. Number one thing they did was pray. So maybe never prayed before. It's a secular study, remember. Never prayed before, they prayed. Number two thing they did, they went to, a, they went to church. Over there's Michelle and, uh, well, anyway, I won't, I won't, uh, some people are cool adolescents, so I'm not going to pull out, I won't do that. But anyway, they know, the church we were at, one Sunday, we had a person that, well, I used to look at the communication cards as soon as I'd get in the car. And on the communication card, someone that visited that morning said, Jesus sent us to this church, which I agreed with. But I've never seen that on the communication card. And so I follow up with them. Their son had just been killed in an accident. You probably know who I'm talking about. And so people come to the church or to Christians when they're in trouble. And we've got to be prepared to help them. Now, pastors will tell you straight up, this was in the Tennessean, but it's a Lifeway study, that we don't know what to do. And I'm like, well, where have you been? But anyway, we don't know how to help someone with this problem or that problem. And what I'm saying is there's no excuse for that. There's no excuse for that. Just like uh, we need to be able to provide first aid for folks who go into cardiac arrest or someone that's choking, we need to be able to provide uh, first aid for people with emotional needs. And I think the Bible is very clear about that and teaches that. And so if we don't know what to do, whether we be pastor or lay people, we have to learn what to do and we can learn it. It's right there. It's all there in the scripture. So. I'm going to encourage you, if you don't have this book, to, um, to get it. It's called First Aid for Emotional Hurts, and it's basically where I talk through and ex- explain how to do these things. I mentioned uh, Michelle. This starts out with an example of her husband going into cardiac arrest, and 
the Lord was with us and the, the nurse was there and they did a good job and they revived him. And he would not be with us today had these people not known physical first aid. But you're more likely to interact with someone with an emotional problem. And we talk about that a little bit in here. And honestly, you're more likely to interact with somebody even with schizophrenia, which we tend to think of as highly rare, than to interact with somebody that may start choking or go into cardiac arrest. And so in this book, we kind of lay it out and it provides just general information about how to help people struggling you know, with these particular issues. Now, if you use the same QR code, so every QR code you see leads to the same place. So I'm encouraging you, if you're a pastor or if you're someone that's a Bible teacher, I'm encouraging you to kind of start out and do a little sermon or a little lesson on Answer the Call. And this, it's a PowerPoint. If you go to that QR code, it's all of these things are there. And you can just download the PowerPoint, and it's all based on two chapters in First Aid for Emotional Hurts. And so it just walks you through, uh, basically talking about the story of the Good Samaritan, talk about how he engaged in providing first aid, and how we're called to do that same kind of thing with the people that we interact with. So I, I'm giving you that as a tool. You can just download it and uh, use it and, and adapt it and use it however you see fit. The other thing I'm going to encourage you to do is to use some of the memes or the graphics that we put out by the National Association of Free Will Baptists. And so, again, if you go to the QR code, each of these graphics is linked. But this could be a way of teaching people what the Lord expects of them. All right? So, first of all, and what people need from them. So first of all, people need us to be ourselves. And you see examples of this from the Scripture. And all of us have been uniquely equipped by God to provide certain types of support or help to people. And if you think about the Scripture, even bad things that you have experienced, which sometimes as Christians we tend to sweep under the rug, God wants, us, wants those to be used. Again, at our church, we had a horrible situation where someone committed suicide. It's terrible. It hurts to this day. But the, the family is completely different and has helped who knows how many people. Okay? And so that's really what Romans 9 is saying. And, you know, you think about Romans 8.28. Don't misquote it. But he's saying if you look at your life, you begin to realize that this happened to me, you know, a divorce, abandonment, even abuse, you know. God can take a bad thing. You don't tell yourself, you know, you don't go tell somebody that, but God can take that and use that to use you to help someone else. But we got to be prepared. And that's 1 Corinthians 9, the whole chapter, but especially the last part where he talks about putting ourselves in the shoes of other people. And then to realize that God puts us in places like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, uh, the example of Moses from Acts chapter 7 where Stephen's given that speech. And then people are gifted in this way. Some people are touchy-feely types. Some people are not touchy-feely types. In my experience, again, working as a pastor, you need them all. Because sometimes the non-touchy-feely types are like, oh, 
they need somebody to uh, buy this for them or they need somebody to cut their grass and they cut it though they never did any you know any of the other stuff so what do they need from you they need you to be who you are don't act like you're somebody else they need you to prepare yourself when you read your bible every morning it is uncanny of course we know it's holy spirit it's the lord but how often you need that later a soft answer turns away wrath or or any number of things that's god preparing us so we prepare and then to use the gifts that God has given to us. So, there are barriers to responding. The number one barrier, I think, is someone else will help. Well, that's the pastor's job, or that's this uh, psychologist's job, or whatever. And that's kind of the good, that could be the Good Samaritan thing. Levite, somebody else will handle it, you know. And actually, from psychological research, what we see is if one person will stop and help, then other people do. Most dangerous thing is when you're in a group uh, and no one helps. Actually, when you're more isolated, people are more likely to stop and help. So we're trying to teach our people, be the person to stop, be the person that helps. It does take time. It takes time. However, remember, God's called you to do certain things, and really, we've got the whole body of Christ. So when everybody is doing what they ought to be doing, it just works. And I'll be honest, fearful. There's fear. So you think about someone with schizophrenia, they hear things that aren't there. A lot of our folks sometimes think they're demon-possessed and all that, which we've got to help them too. You know, so we're afraid of things, right? Real problem is uh, domestic violence, and so that, that is a dangerous situation. And so that's why we do want to know what we're doing, and we want to know what professionals to utilize and how to go with that. And then often people just feel helpless, just feel helpless. And we're trying to teach people we really don't want you to say a lot. In fact, that's where people get into trouble. What we want you to do is watch and observe, and God will kind of show you things to do and to act on those things. What tools do you have? So, number one, first tool you've got is prayer. And in the book, I give an example of uh, an accident. I was called to an accident just when I was pastoring, and I was told that I was coming to an accident where someone was trapped in a vehicle. When I got there, um, it, was, it was a terrible situation. The person had, that was dead. And uh, life flight helicopters taking off as I'm getting there. And so I got disoriented. You know, I thought I was hearing Jaws of Life and all that. And I was hearing the helicopter. And the fire chief actually, he walks me through and past the car where this, the person who's passed away is in. And the parents are here and he just walks me to them and he points to them and says, and these are her parents. And just like that, I thought I was going to be dealing with one situation. I'm dealing with another situation. I felt all night like I was trying to catch up. So the first thing I did was I said, can we pray? <laughs> and uh, we, we got on our knees and we prayed. And it's, it just helps to get you grounded. And I have never had anyone turn me down. I, have a, I had an atheist in my neighborhood and he had a, his daughter was killed in a motorcycle accident. He had on his door, you know, no solicitation. I walk in, they welcome me, and they were, they were cool with me praying. So I encourage you to use prayer. Now, we all do this. I'm going to pray for you. Uh-uh. Pray right then and pray out loud and pray by name. Let them hear you pray and let them hear you pray for their name. And if the, you, you know the name of the person, like in that case, it's just been killed, Lord, help them as they're dealing with the loss of Brittany and help us in these next steps. 
Lord, as we're going to go and tell the grandparents and we're going to do X, Y, Z. And Lord, we know if we've asked you into our life that you're the good shepherd, you know, and you're walking with us every step of the way. So I, I do try to present this. You've got to be quick to the point, uh, but pray for them. And usually, you know, I'm putting my hands on them, you know, is, is one of the things I do. We do have a prayer journal you could download. Unfortunately, that's not on the QR code, but it's at nafwv.org, and we encourage you to do that. And because that's the next thing you do. You say, I will not forget you. I will pray for you. So you got to do it. And so the prayer journal is Monday through Friday. You write their names down. You pray for them. Number two, the Word of God. Whew, it is, you know, we know it. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. So in a crisis, my go-to passage is Psalm 46, right? So that's, that's what I do. And even as a pastor, there's somebody here at this convention that uh, she had aneurysm. It's Robin. And I went to visit her in the hospital, and she said, not, not Psalm 46, Pastor Eddie, not Psalm 46. I'm like, I know, we're not there yet, we're not there yet, although Life Flight was coming to get her. But anyway, we're going to read, we're, I think we did Philippians 4. So they know, they knew, when something catastrophic happened, we go to Psalm 46. God is our refuge, our strength, our help, very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be, the mountains be cast into the middle of the sea. So when the mountains fall into the middle of the sea, God helps you. God's our refuge. God's our strength. And so in a secular setting, sometimes I've had people say those are the most beautiful words I've ever heard. And then you're like, well, you know, there's a God. If you go back to Daniel 2, Daniel kept saying to Nebuchadnezzar, there is a God. He says that in Daniel 4. And so you're trying to point them to that. So you're encouraging them to read Psalms. You, you read to them. You know, you help them with that. And uh, I encourage you to give them a Bible and so forth. But I do encourage you just to go ahead and tell them straight up. I, I want you to take this Bible. And before you go to bed at night, I want you to read Psalm 46. And then tomorrow morning when you get up, I want you to read Psalm 46. And actually, if you carry around one of these little notebooks, some of us have to carry two, you know, write it in your notebook. And every time you feel, you feel that way, pull it out and read Psalm 46. And so we really stress that a lot. We stress to do it for comfort. We stress to do it for direction. So this is talking about like Philippians 4 and using that as a prescription, if you will, to defeat fear. And so that's more instructive, it's kind of like the Proverbs. And so we use it in that way as well. And then the tools you have, you've got the Word, but you have your words. And so I strongly encourage you, and this is why I'm, I would like for us to have like a first aid network, is to write them a note on the anniversary on the birthday of someone's death, when you know they're a day before the surgery. And those are things we can help you with on our little first aid group site where you're like, okay, here's a little sample note. Here's a little sample text. Doesn't have to be long. It is better if it's handwritten. Uh, but just letting them know I'm thinking about you. Text, social media message, card, remembering them on the anniversary of the event the uh, their their own if it's a married couple their own anniversary birthdays and all those things we talk about all that in first aid for emotional hurts um, this is a very recent article from APA people have no idea how much they're helping people you know when they send these notes and texts so we've got good data that shows us this so another tool you've got is church 
You probably know it. People that go to church at least one time a week live on average 10 years longer than people that are not. They were talking about a whole, whole list of studies for that. So we know that by worship, like last night, I mean, it's not about feelings, but did you feel better <laughs> after coming out of the service? You're interacting with people, you're singing, you're hearing the Word of God. It's, you know, the Word is, sh is sharper than a two-edged sword. So it's doing something to you phys physiologically, and it'll help them. The fellowship helps them. Especially we think about depressed people, it was a hard thing to do, but just doing that helps them so much. And everything you do, every activity the church has, it's helpful to them. So again, as a pastor, sometimes I would have a well-meaning person say, hey, uh, I'm a little afraid of such and such. I'm afraid he's going to get burned out with the church. And you just want to say, well, thank you for that. He's addicted to something. I can't tell. I'm not telling him this. He is trying to work so hard in Jesus' work so that when he goes home at night, he just falls asleep. It won't always be this way, but it must be this way right now. It's Colossians 3. He's taking something bad. He's cut it out of his life. He's adding something good. So people look at it and they're like, oh man, you know. So that's, these activities are, are crucial. You know, the, a men's prayer breakfast is crucial because they're, they know, they'll tell you this. I have to be around positive friends. And that's what you get uh, from church and so forth. So uh, nothing like it. Oh boy, this, is, this will be in a journal soon. It's a great study. And it's secular people, okay? So it's opiates of the masses, deaths of despair, and the decline of American religion. These secular researchers believe that the reason that we have uh, deaths of despair, which you know are at all-time high, they tie it all the way back to church attendance or the lack thereof. And this is crazy if you go read that. This is a working paper. But if you go read the paper, they trace it all the way back to the changing of blue laws. And some of you weren't even around when we had blue laws. But they were like, when, it, when people got out of the habit of going to church, and so they, there's all kinds of things you can link to uh, deaths of despair. If people just went to church, that's what these secular people are saying, then they would live long. We know that, but um, this is just an example of what it shows us there. Now, the next thing you have are your relationships. So people that you work with, and many of you may be pastors, your parishioners or your congregation, the people they work with are looking to them on the worst day of their lives. So you're trying to teach them to be looking for that. They don't, today they went to the beach, but what about tomorrow when Grandma Susie dies? So you're, you're teaching them to be on the lookout for that, be on the lookout for neighbors, be on the lookout for family and so forth. And so I think you got this at the services yesterday. Um, as I go, so we're trying to, this is one of the three for 30 things. We're trying to get them to think about praying for their coworkers, praying for neighbors, and, and looking, and when there's some sort of problem, to be ready for them, be able to help them along with that. Now, a key thing is, be a person that someone wants help from. <laughs> Have the fruit of the Spirit. Be a person that can keep a confidence. No one can keep a confidence these days. So if you keep a confidence, you are going to have people coming your way. And we kind of talk about that, what people need from you, uh, and those you see that in the biblical characters. And let's be clear, it's complicated. So you're trying to help people. That does not mean they're going to like you. 
That does not mean they're going to be like, oh, thank you, Helen. You know, no, no, no. They may curse at you. They may do any number of things. It's complicated, but also 10 years from now, they may thank you. You know, they may have a little bit different approach to it. So, no, you're going to be misunderstood. Be on guard against yourself falling into difficulty and sin and, and looking at restoring them. So, let's talk about some specifics here. So, if you go to... This book, First Aid for Emotional Hurts, the first chapter talks about answering the call to do that. Then we talk about the, the, uh, the, the tools that you have, and then we start talking about uh, the techniques that you can use, okay? And we're kind of walking you through. We, we do this all the way through. So we do that in the next chapter, and then we've got a chapter on grief, and we talk about using the tools and the techniques, and then we've got a chapter on um, depression and addiction, and you get the picture all the way down to family problems. So let's just talk about this for a minute. We're trying to teach our people to look, to just be watching. So for example, people that are depressed, they tend to move slower. People, they tend to look down uh, and, and so forth. People with psychosis, for example, tend to be disheveled and so forth. People that are going through complicated grief, they haven't changed anything in the room of the kid that just died. So there's things you can look for which we teach you in that particular book. And things with addiction, you see them first thing in the morning, their hands, you know, are already shaking. Uh, you can kind of, you can see it, you know, the, the redness sometimes, their face. And then family difficulties is kind of hard to find. But our, our thing is, look forward. Don't rush in and out of church. Who's there? Who's not there? Who seems a little gruff with the other person, you know? Who, you, you're just watching and you're teaching them to do that at work as well, to do that with their neighbors and not to be a busybody, not to gossip about it, but then try to look for something they can do to help. So number one, observe. And the example is Joseph. He's in prison. He says, what's up with you guys? You, you, you know, you don't seem well, you know, and Nehemiah's king. You don't look like yourself. This is sickness of heart. Smart. This is the kind of thing that, that, that smart people will do, and we're going to be smart people, so we're going to do them too. So you attend. When you see a need, you go to it, just like the Good Samaritan. You meet basic needs, basic needs. Don't, it's not about words. We, I don't know what to say. Please don't say anything. I don't want you saying anything. Job's friends did good when they went. They did bad when they tried to fix Job. Just be quiet. Just listen to them. So you go, you attend, you meet a need, and just watch. Uh, I mentioned the accident a minute ago. Often in an immediate accident, people vomit, right? So you get them a bag, get them a bag, get them something to drink. Just watch and look. Is there a need that I can meet? Oh, his grass hasn't been cut, and now everybody's going to be coming. Mow the grass. Just do it, right? So we get to them, as, and we get to them as quickly as we can. So again, this is a very recent study uh, talking about a little good goes an unexpectedly long way. So these little things that people do make a big difference in people's lives. And we know this scientifically. So the second thing we want to do is just listen. Just listen. And I learned this long ago. I was a psychologist in the prison, and I was doing all the death notifications. And I'd go to a person, I'd say, I'm sorry to tell you, your brother has passed away, or your mom has passed away. And, they, and I would then look at them, and I thought, personally, they would want to be alone. 
and they would say, just don't leave me, okay? And so a lot of times people just want you to be there, but they don't want you to say anything. And so you just stop, you listen to them, and then they just, they just talk, they, and they, you just kind of pay attention to them. So we listen to them. We sit silently, as Job's friends did initially. We try to equip them with the whole Word of God. So we listen, and then could I read something to you? Could I pray with you? And you're trying to lead that with them too. Uh, maybe write that down. And then we care. So this is the First Corinthians 9 thing. We say, how would I feel if my child had just died or my husband was ill? We try to put ourselves in their shoes. We try to respond. So sometimes we do say things. Uh, this is my fault. Uh, we'll sometimes go ahead and push back on that a little bit, you know, because we don't want that set in. Um, sometimes people will say, why did God allow this to happen to me? I usually let that go. I just let it go and just listen to them and pay attention to them. And I know that that's going to be something to deal with later. So then we're looking for acts. And so in the acting, we're, we're trying to figure out what can I do to help this particular person. So I mentioned a minute ago, like after a tragedy, after uh, you've got somebody that's depressed, try to go with them. Uh, can we go walking every morning? Uh, make sure then they eat, things like that, just particular acts. And the last one is find the end, find the end. And so this is what the Good Samaritan did. Um, he, he got him to the end and he provided the resources there for him and tried to make that happen. So I feel a little guilty about this. I'm pushing books, but that's what they were written for. So I'm, I'm just going to explain that for a bit because... Honestly, people will call me and they'll ask certain things and I go to the book because I was focused on this issue at that moment. And whatever I tell you, I couldn't tell you better than what I did when I was working with that problem when I did. So there's a little booklet called Getting Help or Finding Help. Uh, we called it Finding Help eventually. And if you go through this booklet, basically it talks about what everybody does. What's the alphabet soup? You know, what's a psychiatrist do? What's a psychologist do? What's a licensed professional counselor do? What's a nurse practitioner do? You know, what do I need for the particular issue or problem that I'm dealing with? And this is, this is also talking about there's a gospel presentation. You follow the Lord. There's also a presentation about finding people. You know, how do I find a good counselor and so forth? And I'm going to tell you a secret. We just need competence. We need competence. And I talk about how to find people that are competent. So a lot of times I'll hear, have people say things like, I want a Christian psychiatrist. Wouldn't we all? Okay. Uh, number one, finding a psychiatrist is very difficult. Psychiatrists are not going to talk to you. They're going to spend 15 minutes with you. They're depending on their psychologist or their licensed professional counselor or nurse practitioner. They are not going to be, for the most part, degrading your faith. They have no time for that. Uh, well, fortunately, yes. Okay. But you need competence. You need somebody who knows about bipolar disorder. You need somebody who knows about cyclothymia. They got to know what they're doing. Okay. If you've got somebody that's got an anxiety problem, we, or panic disorder. We need them to know systematic desensitization. They got to be good at it. So we don't want them. They did it. They learned about it in school. They're doing five clients a day. Okay. So you're, this is kind of what we get at there. And it's hard to find them. It's harder and harder to find them. You know, this is Brother Tom and I have kind of gone through that, looking for professionals for our folks. And so, but anyway, we talk about how to do it there. Um, we've also got this little booklet called Grief. So 
I'm going to tell you how these booklets came about. There was a family whose kid was killed in a motorcycle accident. I went to their house about 10 days after, and there was an early version of this book, First Aid for Emotional Hurts, that was written in 2007-2008. Uh, and that book was on their kitchen table. And this book does not need to be on their kitchen table. This is kind of the inside baseball. This is what's going to happen. You know, this is what we anticipate happening uh, the next month, the next six months, the next year. This, this, we don't want them to know this. So this book, this was the first book that was written after getting help or finding help. This is for them. You give them this. Uh, some of you know Jimmy Mercer and uh, maybe about the plane crash they had down, uh, down east. So they took this book, Funeral Home. Everybody wanted it. They just gave it to them. That's fine. So what this does is a biblical approach to dealing with grief, right? So you're getting, you as a, as a helper are getting a lot of this in this book. And then in this book, we're telling you how to use this book. This is the book they get, and they go and they read it, and they kind of work through that as well. And, um, and what's in that booklet, you know, there's 12,000 words, and I think the chapters are, in other words, there's a lot of material in that booklet. So it'd be good for you to read it as well if you're trying to help somebody, but uh, it's designed for both. There's another booklet on depression. So... Again, we talk about it in the overall book, First Aid for Emotional Hurts. This is the booklet you give to the person that's depressed. And we, do, we just teach them how to work with the physician. Dr. Fred over here is a physician. He's busy. You need to come in and you don't need to take you know, 30 minutes to tell him what's wrong with you. you. You give him specifics. These are the symptoms I feel. This is when they happen to me uh, in these particular circumstances. And we would love it if you could say, my parents had such and such, my grandparents had such and such. Oh boy, we're, we'd be very happy with you. And if you know what medication they took, we're even more happy, so, or we're happier. So we kind of walk through that in depression so you need to know bipolar disorder and major depression look the same, but they're different. And if people take the medications for major depression and they got bipolar, it's, it's not good. And so anyway, so you've got that. Addiction. So we got this little addiction booklet, and this is everything. So this is um, all kinds of addictions, gambling and so forth, substance and so forth. Again, it's good for the person that's trying to help the person, but it's designed for someone that's addicted. And then first aid for sexual issues. Nobody usually goes and buys this in public, but anyway, uh, this starts with pornography and it goes all the way out to same-sex attraction. And I wanna tell you a secret. When I work with people struggling with pornography, and I work with people struggling with same-sex attraction. If I close my eyes, I don't see a difference. What's happening in their brain, what's happening spiritually, that makes people mad that are, that are into pornography, or, you know, they need to get out of pornography. But anyway, that had that issue, it's the same thing. Same thing spiritually, same thing psychologically as well. So that's, I think, we don't just say you need to quit this. We kind of walk them through and talk about it. I've got a thing tomorrow on uh, uh, LGBTQ, and uh, actually I have a former lesbian who's coming to participate in that. She's different now, so she's going to tell you that immediately when she got saved, it all went away. She, that's an anomaly, okay? But, I, but I'll talk about that tomorrow, 
and uh, it's just good to hear her story. We'll, we'll talk to her. We'll do that if you come to that tomorrow. Then we've got one on veterans, and so this was the, the fellow that pastored the Tippett Chapel before I pastored it, Lieutenant Colonel David Trogdon, who ends up getting deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan multiple times, ends up getting injured, Purple Heart and all. And so we wrote this together, and this is good for the veteran, but really family members, anyone that's got family members, and we talk about that too. And then we've got the children. This, is, um, this would do work with any kind of emotional problems, but we walk through anxiety, depression, and also uh, eating disorders because those are the most common. And we come at it from a holistic way. What are you thinking? What are you behaving? How are you relating? And try to work in those particular areas. And then this is... Uh, for a while, I was doing psychological evaluations or psychological, um, psychoeducational evaluations for the state. And so this is kind of that, you know, uh, uh, learning disabilities, uh, emotional uh, or uh, EMD is what it would be now. And how you can interpret psychological, what kind of interventions you can use, you know, based on that, helping them with learning problems. And then the marriage one. Now, this is, this is just different. But it uh, talks about interesting things, people that stay married, even though they're having problems. Within five years, they're usually happy. And we talk about different ways to help with that and go at it. And then this is uh, the most enjoyable book I ever wrote, Therapeutic Life Changes. I mentioned a minute ago the data on living 10 years or longer if you go to church weekly. That's from my good buddy, Harold Koenig, over at Duke University Medical Center. He's the number one researcher in really the world in health and religion and so we're kind of taking some of that data talking about that and the things to do so you say well why would i use this any kind of health issues this is helpful for um, and just the kind of proactive things that we do trying to have good physical health good psychological help are really good for those things so i encourage you to you know obviously get the little first aid kit if possible but I also encourage you as your church to take advantage of the calendar. So we know that September is Suicide Prevention Month. So, and I guess Suicide Prevention Week is September 16th and 12th. I beg you to get this article. So you just go to that QR code, download it. The, that article is called After the Other Side of Suicide. If you have a suicide, what you do is very critical and determining whether you will have future suicides. You're going to have somebody else try to get, commit suicide in the next six months. So we kind of walk through and talk about what you do, what you don't do. And I even say that in the article there. I say, I encourage you to print this. You don't think you need it, but you want it when you need it. And by the way, we help you with that. If you, we, we help Christian, a lot of Christian schools, and actually a lot of secular schools too in the old days, uh, with these kinds of issues. So. Suicides, the suicide month is coming, so I encourage you to talk about that a little bit at your church. Equip your people, which we, again, talk about in the book, First Aid for Emotional Hurts. Ask people, you know, have you ever thought about harming yourself? And people are afraid it puts the thought in their mind and so forth. Not an issue. They usually come back, why would you ask such a thing? Well, there are some people that think everyone has thought that, or I'm just concerned. I want you to know I'm here to help you. You know, something, you know, along those lines. The other thing is uh, depression. So October's National Depression Screening, I really feel like we should have reversed those months, but I didn't set the months up. So this is where you do a 1 Kings chapter 19 
you know, talk. This is where you talk about Jeremiah and he says, cursed be the day on which I was born. This is where you talk about Jonah chapter 4 where he's like, just kill me, right? You see different ways that people become depressed in those different characters. And so again, uh, you go to this QR code and we've got information there. We've got a sermon if you want it on 1 Kings 19 um, that's very strongly tied to this particular depression booklet. And you could take that and use that. We've also got these little uh, graphics, which you can get if you go to the QR code. They're at the NAFW Facebook site as well. But first off, you just tell people, you know, let's be aware. This is the month. The scripture talks a lot about depression. You know, what do we do to defeat depression? And so you're teaching them on the left side about that. The right one is if you are depressed, things you can do. And if you'll notice, all of those, look at all that scripture, all of that's in the scripture. So uh, it's all over the Psalms, it's all in our Bible characters, and that's what we're doing uh, as we go through that. And then look at the other things that happen as we go across the months. February is eating disorders. High rate of eating disorders, we think about anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, obesity has been taken out of the DSM, but anyway, not a bad thing to talk about either. Um, think about bipolar day, which you know, is, a, is a type of depression, but a much more difficult thing, as difficult as schizophrenia, right? When you see someone that's homeless, more likely to have bipolar than schizophrenia, which is kind of a shock. You look here at uh, Stress Awareness Month. They got it. Just to you a sermon on that and get into anxiety a little bit. And June is PTSD Awareness. So we want to take June back. <laughs> Not just talk about pride so-called all the time, although we do have something to deal with that, but I'll talk about that tomorrow. But um, PTSD, our service members, a good percentage of them are struggling with PTSD and also something called moral injury and traumatic, traumatic brain injury. People that have been in terrible car accidents involving Jaws of Life, Life Flight, things like that, there's a lot of PTSD, and especially after a hurricane and so forth, uh, tornadoes and so forth. So we, this is where we could prep them for that. For example, I think Moses had PTSD. You know, you can see some of the things, you can see it in some of the biblical, biblical characters. You can also see, for example, Moses struck the rock after Miriam died. So it's, if you look and you think about it from an emotional hurt kind of way, you can see this woven all through Scripture. And we use that, we want to use that through the days. There's a little, uh, actually I wrote an article for AACC, but they won't let you have it. But they did a little blog out of it. And I encourage you to take that and in that little article, AACC, American Association of Christian Counselors, I just walk through and I say, this is how a church becomes a, a church that can train their congregants to assist people in crisis, trauma, and recovery. It's a, they, they, they narrowed it down real small. It's all in this book, but it's the kind of thing that you could actually you know, hand out to people and say, are you guys interested in doing this? Or are you interested in, in making that happen? And... Um, this QR code, I, it's all the same QR code, I think, but there is a little manual or, or um, uh, what we'll call it, leader guide, that's what we call it, where you can go through and where you can actually um, ask questions of people. So the idea is that they read the, um, th they read the chapters and then they talk to each other and they answer these particular questions and so forth that's what I'm kind of suggesting or encouraging to do. So, I've, I've hammered you pretty hard. How are we doing and on the time? And uh, Stephen? 
right, good deal. Okay, I feel like it is getting hot in here. I don't know if it's hot air or what. but uh, So let me throw this out to you. Would you be interested in trying to do something where you went through and you trained your people or trained people within your church to offer, you know, to be prepared or first aid ready, okay? And if you are, I'm going to ask you to give Stephen here, make sure he's got your email address and he's got your name. And what we would do is we would invite you to our first aid for emotional hurts group. So it's a Facebook group. You'd have to be on Facebook, but I don't know if you, I guess you would have to be on Facebook. But anyway, uh, if you give us your email, that's the way we kind of get into you a little bit. And how many of you do the Hope Initiative through, that we do through Church Answers? Any of you do that? Way to go, Terry. Pastor Terry. So if you think, uh, well, Terry, I'm talking to you right now. If you think about how the Hope Initiative's laid out, the rest of you don't know that, there's trainings, right? And the way the Hope Initiative started initially was Tom Rayner just went through and trained a group of pastors during, during online meetings. And what we would do is, if you wanted to do that, we would set up a time and we would say Monday night, 7 p.m., October 7th, we're going, to do a, we're going to do an online training thing. You know, we're just going to walk through and we're going to do that. Um, and if you're like, yeah, I can't do that, then we would work with you later. And then just see if you can take the material. Uh, we've got PowerPoints to all of this. We would help you and work with you just like, you know, uh, we're, we have done with like Hope Initiative Churches, part of the beta group. We provide them with resources and then they go through and they provide that to their people. And the only thing that it would cost you are the books because I even have to buy my own books. You know, that's from Randall House. So you just, you purchase the books that are available via Kindle and all that business too. Uh, and uh, we would make that happen. 